Shout out to the mighty Who That Nation, man. We up in this thing. Great Saint Thank Tank representing to the fullest, man. We up in this thing for another installment of the Coma Saints Midweek Report. Big ups to the fam. Appreciate each and every last one of y'all for being in the stream. Big ups to the fam. As we get going in this episode of the show, shout out for the mighty, the mighty Who That Nation, man, representing. Shout out to Elvin Kamara, man. And like we always talk about, Elvin Kamara is a straight shooter. He is a straight shooter. He's not a BS artist. And like he mentioned in the video, he talked about several really searing points. He made a great statement and Tuck, shout out to Tuck. Tuck caught it. Several other family members caught it when he talked about they got the right players in the right locker room. Now, you can interpret that how you feel, but there's a reason why they're losing. But if Elvin is telling you that we have the right players in the right locker room, then What's the issue? What the problem is? So straight shoot Elvin Kamara. He's not going to flim flam. Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas has been long enough. Michael Thomas is not an enigma to me. I understand what Michael Thomas, what kind of person Michael Thomas is, and what he's about. My perspective on Michael Thomas is he's a hardworking dude. He's also a straight shooter. He's reserved, more reserved, uh, and only comes forward to talk when he feels like he has something to say. But Mike is going to listen to you and he's going to play you to the rear. And let me tell you something. Michael Thomas is the type of guy that's going to listen to a lot of stuff that's out there about him. That helps drive him. He's not a guy to tell you, man, I don't listen to that. When Jeff Duncan pissed him off, he said, you the one that's writing all that BS. Yeah. <laughs> and so he was quite aware. It kind of took Duncan for uh, all for a little second. You know, he kind of played him to the back. But he does. And most players who are very competitive, they read and listen to when people are making commentary about them because they use it as a source of motivation to propel them to keep doing what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? To kick, take it to that next level. So I understand what Mike Thomas was talking about. It's not a bad, they say it's a bad thing for him to out the quarterback. The quarterback needs to be outed. If the goddamn head coach would do it, he, Thomas wouldn't have to waste his time on Twitter doing it. 
See, it has to be said. It will be expressed, whether it's by Michael, the running backs, whoever. Somebody's going to express it because it is very obvious and clear that nobody is checking Carr's bad quarterback play. Nobody's checking his poor fundamentals. Nobody's telling him that, you know, of any high standard or any just repetitive over and over again. Hey, don't stare guys down. Hey, look over the entire field and don't half-ass the field. Don't look on half the side. Michael Thomas was upset by the Jawan Johnson play. That was 100% Jawan Johnson uh, on that play. He threw it to Jawan Johnson, the interception to the guy on the first play of the game. Well, it was not the first play of the game. It's the first possession the Saints have, the first play of the first possession, which was to throw off the tips of the fingers of Jawan Johnson to the defensive back for the Detroit Lions. And he kind of alligated that thing. And he was doing it because usually when you do that like that, that's because you're worried about somebody behind you. So he had a guy that was right next to him and there was a safety coming for him. And he kind of hurry up and see if he can put his hands on it and turn and locate where the guy was. Usually that's what they do. That's a very common thing when people are worried in the vicinity, like they know they're in the strike zone where safety is. They'll be very worried about such a thing. And that's what happens. As soon as he missed it, he looked where the safety was. The ball went to the hands of the safety that would have knocked his block off had he caught the ball. Now, what Mike was mad about, about, you know, was that on that play, there was a wide open wide receiver to the left boundary that was streaking up the field that Derek Carr didn't even see. That's what Michael Thomas was mad about. But what I'm saying is, listen. If the quarter, if the head coach in the in the the, the the coaches around the quarterback would say this, then Michael Thomas wouldn't have to say it. You get what I'm saying? Y'all follow. Put one in the chat if you understand me. If the goddamn head coach and the offensive coordinator and the QB coach, all of them, if they were saying this to the quarterback, then there would be no need for Mike Thomas to tweet it. You get what I'm talking about? And he there in the building. So if he's saying that and he's frustrated about it, they're not saying it. See what I'm saying? That's why that's it's all about perspective, man. It's about perspective. And you you need to listen to them people or you can look all around and understand that Mike Thomas wants to win. He wants to win. He wants to win games. He's here to win. And we don't have time for no BS. And Elvin Kamara is right because that's how I think. I often talk about that. I am not a worrier. I am a warrior, which means I'm not going to, if there's an issue or there's a problem, I'm not going to spend ridiculous amounts of time sitting up here worried about a problem. When it, once it's recognized as a problem, I kick into solution mode and try to figure out ways that we can get this solved. We don't sit here and marinate in the problem. We find the answers. Once you recognize it as a problem, we then kick into solution mode instantaneously and find the answers and solve the damn thing. That's what it's about. And move on to the next level. That's how you win. That's how you accomplish things. We don't have time to sit up here and waste time worried about this, that, or the third. Let's get the answer and keep it moving. And I agree with that. So he said a lot of positive things. And basically gave some really keen insight about the mindset of what's happening inside of the team. But if you're a person that can read people and understand that you can read in between the lines, then you can understand what my, what Elvin Kamara is saying and what Michael Thomas is saying. Cause these are winners. These are 
bona fide winners. These are two of the best people on the team. Michael Thomas is a, uh, is a phenomenal wide receiver when he's healthy. He does a lot if you use him. He could have had a big-time year here if, if Dumb Carr would have found him and stopped looking at half the field. And, and this is the thing that got to really hurt Michael Thomas because Michael Thomas was one of the big factors in recruiting Carr here. But I'm pretty sure that he didn't think that he would come here and only look at half the damn field the majority of the time. And, of course, we did film work on our TSC screen on Tuesday, our Tuesday special, we did some film work and I pinpointed cars when he checks the guy, when he checks the ball, I've showed several different times for the family members that's seen it. That's members of the channels, the Patreon family and the YouTube family that's members seen it. I've showed it even in certain plays. I replayed it over and over again and showed and pinpointed where wide receivers were streaking. They had wide receivers that were so open. They had their damn hand up running, you know, like, like when you see somebody and you might be playing street ball with somebody and then you look and then the guy takes off and he's so open. He's got his hand up in the air saying, I got, look, I'm open. I'm open. They had receivers streaking down the field with the hand up saying, throw it to me and car never sees them. So the question, what Michael Thomas is basically saying, what he's frustrated about in that tweet and what Elvin was saying, what, you know, what, you know, was like, what's going on with Michael Thomas? Man, come on, stop all this madness, man. Michael Thomas has a reason to be upset. So does the rest of the people. People are not just upset. And Elvin Kamara is one of the smartest people on that team. He knows why the, the people are booing. You think Elvin Kamara, as smart as he is, don't know why people are booing him? Well, I never know my years as a saint. I never known that many people, bro. Let me break it down to you. And you already know this, my man, you got to pay play politics in the building because you, you know, to a degree, they structurally bound to the team and they can't reveal certain things about the team. They'll be, you know, uh, penalized if they reveal certain inside, you know, they got, you know, like a semi non-disclosure agreement, but I don't need to, then for you or, you know, for no player to tell me what's going on in the building, bro, I'm very astute. I can look at what's going on with the team because how the team operates like a team that has severe amounts of this, uh, of dysfunction happening. You don't have all these guys running around here and if and the stars are frustrated and the team's not winning, something's going on here. And if it's not the talent in the building, I said, we got enough talent. It's a schematic standpoint operated by the coaches at the top, which starts with Dennis Allen. He refuses to make any changes. They don't change a damn thing. They don't change out the play call and they don't do nothing. They just keep doing the same thing. Then you got a dinosaur sitting up there protecting them, getting mad at the family members. You won't have a job for long if you keep doing this. I ain't talking about L. I'm talking about the rest of these clowns sitting up on top of this team trying to come at the who that nation. It won't work, player. So shout out to AK-41. Shout out to Elvin, man. Forever the sharp, the, the, the straight shooter that he is telling the truth, understanding and being as judicious as he possibly can, because we know he's under contract with these people. And he can't say too much. You get what I'm saying? Without him, them taking his money and penalizing him or whatever the case may be. That's why Mike can tweet it out and then delete it and all this kind of stuff. What happens and, you know, kind of, but this is the reality. This is where we are. And it don't take much to figure that out. I've been saying this for most of the season about what's going on with Dennis Allen. I've been telling the family members, Hey, listen, I'm not mad at Dennis Allen. You know why? Because Dennis Allen's not a head coach. Same shit I say all the time. It's like I'm reading a script. 
I keep saying the same thing over and over again because Dennis Allen's not a head coach. He's not anybody's head coach. You know why? Because he don't have this. He don't have this. He don't have this. He don't have any in his shows. He don't have any discipline. He doesn't have uh, uh, attention to detail. And I go down this whole damn list over and over again. And it's raining out true because he can't wrangle these people in to make them win consistently. And he got the talent there. He refuses to make the proper changes that's necessary to, for the team to have success. And it's the same old stuff. So how are we going to get different results if these people keep doing the same stupid stuff? It's a part of the game, man. All right, so let's move to this article, man. Foster, now y'all remember this article right here. This is Foster family accuses cops of torturing him to death. This is crazy. Glenn Foster Jr., y'all remember him? Glenn Foster was a very, a, you know, a pretty decent defensive end for the Saints. I like Glenn Foster. Then he passed away. But listen to this story right here. This is from ESPN. The family of Glenn Foster Jr., the former Saints player found dead in the backseat of a police SUV two years ago, filed a lawsuit Wednesday accusing the sheriff's deputies in rural Pickens County, Alabama, of repeatedly torturing him after he was arrested following a traffic stop. Now, see, this is not a this not guesswork. I and I have not written this or read this article through, but I'm more than sure they probably had an autopsy done independently. And let, let me share this, you know, with the family members. Y'all know my sister passed away recently, you know, a couple of years ago. What was it last year? I want to say, man, it's time flies. She passed away. Where she passed, she just had moved. She just bought a second house. And where she was moving to, the new house where she was moving to, she still had boxes packed of stuff that she would never open. Very sad. Very sad. Stuff that she bought, she would never open. But the reality was when she moved there and something, you know, and I told you what happened, she passed away. The people, the parish in which she was living in would not perform an autopsy on her. We had to pay to get an independent autopsy done on her. They refused to do it. And I found that very odd that they refused to do an autopsy. But ultimately, we got to the bottom of it and figured it out once we got the autopsy done. We found out there were weird connections between where she, the parish where she was living at, and you know this was this whole thing with the um, the uh, what is it the um, uh, when they tie your stomach up, and I and I tell people all the time, don't do that. I warned her about it, and I said to her I didn't want her to do it, but she did it. But it's the thing when the the guy get gastric bypass or whatever that stuff is, please don't do that. Don't do it. If you got to lose it the, the regular way, lose it the regular way. Don't do that. That is extremely dangerous. And listen, it was all kind of stuff. Let me just put it out here. And I'm just saying this family, when they did this, I'm pretty sure that they did an independent autopsy and found the autopsy person gave them the information on this. And they're bringing this to light with this lawsuit. The lawsuit filed in federal court in Birmingham alleges the defendants tased, struck, beat, and choked Mr. Foster, causing his death. Defendants say excessive barbaric use of force violated Mr. Foster's civil rights. The, con- the complaint says their actions robbed the Foster family of a son, father, and husband. Foster's family is suing Pickens County, the sheriff's office, the former sheriff, the county jail, and several officers claiming wrongful death, the use of excessive force and violation of Foster's civil rights brings to me the mind of a story 
of Sandra Bland. This was several years back of this comes to mind of a sister. This happened in Texas. It was so wicked and evil that the picture they took of the lady was y'all remember the picture on it just that picture haunted me because they said that she whatever happened in her cell she just died and all this kind of stuff and the picture they took you can look at her and see that the pictures that she wasn't she was unalive on the picture you can look at the picture her eyes and everything it's how evil some of these people are man a state autopsy report released last year concluded that foster died of natural causes a state autopsy right linked to hyperextensive cardio, cardiovascular disease. A lawsuit says police began abusing Foster immediately after he was arrested December the 3rd, 21, and continued until he was found dead three, year, three days later. Now, I remember this story because the family, when this first came out, the family was saying that they refused to let them see him in jail. And when they do that, and they said he was in hospital or something like that, when they do that, something is wrong, right? They knew that. And they even mentioned that. Foster, who became a successful businessman after his NFL career was cut short by injury, was, was arrested for allegedly speeding and attempting to flee police. Authorities in reform, a tiny city in Pickett County is just west of Tuscaloosa. They said they clocked Foster's black 2020 Jeep Wrangler going 92 and 45 when they attempted to pull him over. Police said Foster led them on an eight-mile chase that ended after they laid down spike strips to stop him. The police charged Foster 31 reckless endangerment and resisting arrest. So they, they have a justifiable reason. You're speeding 40, 92 and 45. You're speeding in there. That's like what, to a degree, the speeding situation that happened when he, if you're speeding and they take you to jail, like what happened when Chris Olave was speeding through there. And when, it, if it's up over a certain uh, uh, amount of miles, then you go, you know, you got to take that trip. And of course them laying the spikes down and all this, you know, to get them, I can see you taking them to jail. But what happened after that? Immediately after Foster was apprehended, the suit says Pickens, a county sheriff deputy, wrestled him to the ground, slamming his head into the concrete. When emergency medical personnel arrived on the scene, they recommended that Foster be given medical and mental health checks. The suit alleges, but the request was ignored. After Foster was booked into Pickens County Jail sometime after midnight, December the 4th, the suit says that the reform police chief contacted his family who said they had concerns about his mental health. The chief and the family agreed that Foster, who, who his family said had been diagnosed with, bola, with bipolar disorder years earlier, should be transferred to a hospital for mental health exa ex ex examination. Later that night, jail officials called EMS personnel to perform a vitality check on Foster, according to the suit. When they arrived at the jail, the suit says they asked Foster to be immediately taken to the hospital, hospital for medical care, but the recommendation was refused. See, now that's, that's something else. That's two times. That's two times violation. The next day, Foster family arrived in Pickens and posted bail, but they soon learned that Foster would not be released because he faced a new set of charges stemming from alleged fight with another inmate in which a jailer was slightly injured. This is the story that they're telling them. For more than 24 hours after that, the suit alleges officers tortured Foster. The suit says they had stripped him naked, strapped him to a chair, and tased him repeatedly before choking him unconscious. The next day when Foster was to be driven to a hospital for a court-ordered mental health evaluation, he appeared unresponsive. The suit says, 
as his legs hung outside the police car that was to take him to the hospital. Officers allegedly forced him into the backseat by pushing him and yanking him by the neck in what the lawsuit describes as a chokehold maneuver, which you're not supposed to be doing. After the approximately half hour ride to the hospital in Northport in Tuscaloosa County, authorities found Foster slumped over, his skin discolored and foaming from his nostrils and his mouth. The hospital personnel pronounced him dead at the scene. The complaint does not offer any direct evidence for the allegations, which family said sprung from an in and listen to where they're getting this from. The complaint does not offer any direct evidence of, of, of allegations, which the family said sprung from an investigation by their lawyers who included Ben Crump's there speaking from the steps of the federal courthouse in Birmingham when he joined Foster's family. We know there's video. The only question is what happened to the video. So it's always video of the video missing and, and uh, procedures are ignored or procedures are ignored several times with medical dealing with a person like that. Something's wrong, man. And the video's missing. That usually leads to like a cover. It's a cover up. See, and these people know they didn't want nobody to want let them handle them like that, man. Especially if you're dealing with somebody that got mental health issues. It got to be a better way. The lawsuit, which asked if a jury trial and damages was filed on the second anniversary of Foster's death, Alabama's authorities have said little about the circumstances of his death. And his family disputes the state autopsy reports and says he was a young man in top physical condition. And then, of course, his his widow says we're not getting much of anything from them. Pam Foster says, so we basically have to do our own research and they're not forthcoming with information. That's another red flag. Sabrina Foster, Glenn's mother. Glenn was my only son. He was my first child to see his his life wrongly taken away. It makes you question your own life. It makes you question God. It makes you question the integrity of people and mankind. Trust me, man, that's hard stuff for a mother to say. So the Fosters also pointed to what they call troubling pattern of police brutality in the, in the county where they're from. Three black men have been killed by police or died in law, law enforcement custody since 2019. And then they go into it. So it's a very uh, difficult story to deal with. And, um, you know, it's so sad, man. But the family is looking for justice, man. And I pray that they receive that justice, man. They deserve that, man. We can't. This has to be changed. This no longer can stand, man. All this has to be changed. People who are abusing the power that the people give them need to be removed and they need to be punished for what they're doing. You can't do that because you wouldn't want nobody doing that to you. Don't do it to them. So anyway, let's move on, man. Let's get to this. And this is the part of the interview. We're about to jump right into the Mickey Loomis aspect of it. We're going to play this. That was so troubling. But we're going to play the Mickey Loomis interview from WWL. And y'all put one in the chat if y'all can hear this uh, as we go. And I'm going to stop it periodically. It's about, man, it's it's about 20-something minutes. I might not play all of it. If y'all want me to play all of it, put one in the chat. Uh, If y'all don't, just put two. And uh, and based on what y'all tell me, I'll I'll probably would just do a certain amount of time. If y'all want me to do all of it, I'll do it. But y'all let me know in the chat. But here it goes. Here's Mickey Loomis. Mickey Loomis, the Saints at home against the Detroit Lions. A tough final, 33-28, fall to five and seven. So many things that were positive out of this game that we'll talk about. Red zone, goal to go. Uh, It was just a stunning beginning. I don't know that I've 
at least I'm in recent memory, been a part of a 21 nothing with eight minutes to go uh, in the first quarter. I mean, it was just, you know, it, it was stunning. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard to think about positives when you lose a game, right? But yeah, but it's what it's what we try to do. We try to think about the things that we did well and um, as well as the things that we didn't do well. But you know, it was an odd game in that regard because the first seven minutes, as you said, um, everything that could go wrong did go wrong, and we're down twenty-one nothing, and against a really good team. And so, man, that's that's a that's a tough road to hoe. And and yet we gave ourselves um, a chance to win the game um, in the fourth quarter. So I was proud of our team for that. Um, proud of the way we fought back and fought through adversity. Um, you know, the things that have kept us from winning games, which is really red zone scoring, um, we were four for four. In. And so that was positive. Um, I think this is the first game that we've had that I can recall anyway recently that we were in the negative category and takeaways and turnovers. So that that wasn't good. And and yet, man, the, the, the first one, you know, the interception, um, look, it's a ricochet off the hands of a receiver that, that you you know you expect uh, and he would expect to catch and it goes right into the hands of um, of their DB and and so they're in our territory right away so that, that was disappointing. Listen, you have to overcome that and and uh, I thought that we did a really good job um, from the second quarter on of both defensively and offensively of getting back in the game. Look, it was from that point on it was twenty eight twelve in our favor and so that's a good sign. Uh, against a good football team, but at the end of the day, it's a loss. So I'm going to make a statement. You don't even have to answer, uh, respond to it because I'm going to answer the, the statement because I get asked this all the time. The media is talking about it all the time. And that has, you know, the generic has this team quit on the coach. And to me, if it's 21 nothing and your team has quit on that coach, the end of that game is 56 uh, 3. If your team has quit on a coach, You've not averaged six points giving up in the second half of the last five games. You you don't quit temporarily. You either quit or you don't quit. So to me, it's kind of a pointless question because 21 nothing is the perfect opportunity to quit. They didn't quit. They hung as tough as they've ever hung. And again, you don't even have to respond because I've answered the question, I feel like, but it is out there. You hear this, dude, man. Mike Hoss, you need to be ashamed of yourself, dude. You mean to tell me you'll sell your soul and you'll you, you probably don't have any integrity if you behaving like this for money. This is this is this is shameful behavior by by a guy who's supposed to be uh, a reporter that's telling it it is. He's asking a question to Mickey Loomis, and by the way, he's he he's an employee for the New Orleans Saints. That's why I was telling family members before is that you you're not going to get the real scoop from people that work for the team because he's not going to um, get in trouble with the team and lose his money for you. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do that. He asks a question, then tells Mickey Loomis that he doesn't have to ask, answer the question for him. Then why ask the question then, man? Why are you playing games, man? Why are you playing semantic word games? When these reporters, and I know he's pointing this, and you know which Saints reporters said what he's talking about. We know who they are because we read the articles, right? Some of my favorite ones mention a lot of this stuff. And what they're saying is, and let me defend our reporters, man, because our reporters are stepping up and they're handling their business. They are telling the truth. 
They're laying it out. And this is what we've been asking for our reporters to do for years. We used to have one or two guys doing this. Then the rest of them would placate for a paycheck. But rest of these reporters, shout out to all of them. They are terrific. All of these guys, the majority of them, we talk about Bob. We talk about uh, Mike Triplett. We talk about even uh, Jeff Duncan, who sometimes we kind of floats off sometimes. But Jeff is on code. All these guys, all of the fantastic reporters, uh, Underhill, all of them are doing fantastic work. Salute to you guys. And they aiming shots at some of these people that said that the team is not responding to Dennis Allen the way Mike Hoss knows what they mean by that. He knows what they mean. And he's saying to quit, the team has quit, not the entire team, but certain ser- segments of it has lost faith in Dennis Allen because Dennis Allen is not showing him anything. He's not instructing properly. So he's not saying the whole team lost their confidence in Dennis Allen. That's not what they're saying, that he has lost people in the building that play for the team. That's what they're talking about. But for you to try to spin it like it's a, uh, it's either a this or that thing, either they're going to play or they're going to. Now, listen, there's, there, th- that showed you talent. If anything, it showed you talent that happened in the Detroit game. When they went down 21 to nothing, desperation set in. And you couldn't perform and walk that back and come back unless you had the talent to pull that off. People start really getting nervous. They got desperate and they started handling their business. They started actually blocking. They started catching. They started doing the things that's needed. And then the play calling improved for them to start moving the ball because they threw out all they caught that garbage conservative bull crap that Pete Carmichael starts games with with no rhythm or nothing. They threw all that out because they were down 21 to nothing. They had to scramble and put something together. And the team did. They did respond. They didn't win the game. So, I mean, you can take, you can, in, in all of the big mass anyway, it was a big failure. It was a big nothing burger anyway because they didn't get the victory. 